Hey everybody, thank you for checking out the Broke Down Podcast. This is episode 77, and we've got an interesting set of guests for you today. First, let me remind you that the Broke Down Podcast is a member of Osiris. Osiris Media is connecting you to the things you love through podcasts, videos, and more. I was recently a guest on the great podcast, Welcome to the Party Pal, which is a film and television podcast. We talked about the great short documentary, John Was Trying to Contact Aliens. It's a cool little film that I highly recommend. It's on Netflix now. It's quite short, so I'm sure you have the time. And after that, you should check out Welcome to the Party Pal. You can find that and more at OsirisPod.com. All right, what's the news, folks? There are bands starting to do shows again. Outdoor, socially distanced shows are beginning to happen. Some at drive-ins, others on brewery lawns. I have seen clips of shows performed on Brooklyn Stoops. Folks, wherever you can get your music fix, have at it. Just remember to be safe. Keep your distance. Tip the performers if it's a free show. But ultimately, keep wearing your masks. It's the best tool we have right now, and it's an easy one for preventing the spread of the virus. And uh, don't come at me with all that anti-mask nonsense. I'm not having it. Not at all. I'm looking at you, Van Morrison. Not that he's listening, but you know what I mean. While we're at it, I tend to keep this space politics-free, but I want to be clear on something. This country, hell, this very music is built on certain freedoms, and a lot of those are in dire jeopardy right now. So check your registration and make a plan to get your vote in and be counted. I don't see how we can get by with four more years of this. This darkness has got to give, my friends. Speaking of giving, I know you've heard me mention that I write songs and I play a little guitar. I thought long and hard about whether I'd mention this on here, but... What the hell? I've released an original song on Bandcamp back at the beginning of September. It's called New Day Soon, and it is also a bit political. With that in mind, I am donating all proceeds from the song to the ACLU. You can check it out and purchase it on my Bandcamp page, jmhart.bandcamp.com. Okay, showtime. This week's guests are three gentlemen who have a unique and interesting responsibility. Some time ago, Jason Schooner and Tony Fishman acquired Dick Letbala's personal archive. Included were music and, of course, books and more. Sometime after that, Scott Medeiros came on board, and they began the process of sifting through the collection, transferring and restoring tapes and more. Tony runs Telefunken Electroacoustic, where they manufacture some award-winning and truly impressive microphones. And, of course, all three of these guys are deadheads, a couple are tapers, and just really a nice set of guys. So before we jump in, I will tell you that the conversation is just short of an hour. It ranges widely, but it's really fascinating. And after that, I'll be back to talk to you about an amazing set of music that I've prepared for you. Also want to remind you of the usual business. I can be found on Twitter and Instagram at BrokeDownPod and on the interweb at BrokeDownPodcast.blogspot.com. Now, I know these days we've all gotten accustomed to Zoom calls and the occasional challenges getting folks together online. Uh, this call was no different. We start with just myself and Tony, and soon you'll hear Scott and Jason join in. So, I hope you'll enjoy. I was just um, drooling over uh, Telefunken microphones before the uh, we started. Yeah, that happens to a lot of us, I guess. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> you get 
you develop an interest. I don't want to say fetish. It's a little extreme, but it's a, uh, no, let's face it. The whole thing is a way of life. Yeah. You know, um, you should wait for those guys, but you know, I, I started out working at a camera store in a stereo shop. Cool. And, uh, I did go to college out of high school. Um, it was real struggle to get through high school for me. Um, I, I guess I'm probably a little bit on the spectrum there of being a little different that I was very dyslexic. And, um, at that age, you know, um, things weren't easy, but, you know, out of high school, um, you know, I found, uh, a local band here in Connecticut, Max Creek. Oh yeah. Um, and that opened the door right away to Grateful Dead. And, um, I started, you know, taping Hello. early, early on. Hey Scott. I guess you guys can hear. Yeah. Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. There you are. Jason on board. Not yet. I'm watching the, uh, whatever the lobby or whatever hopefully he'll be on a second i'm gonna get right out for one second and i'm gonna get him in hold on okay yeah i mean as a, a fan i was i never taped grateful dead um but i i tape a lot of small things small shows and use cheap chinese mics because it's in my budget as a <laughs> no i i really budget. had a an interesting you know start with all this and that um the stereo shop I worked at was, you know, like really high end. And, um, it, what fascinated me was, you know, hearing a live performance recreated on speakers and wanting, you know, to feel like I was there at the show. Right. And, uh, you know, it led me on a pursuit of, you know, high end stereo equipment and that I worked at the store there so that I could afford my fetish, so to speak. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it led me on a pursuit for better and better microphones. And because I didn't go to college, uh, I convinced my folks to kind of let me find my own way in audio. And, um, you know, I think a lot of gear, I bought a lot of, a lot of different microphones and I was collecting microphones at a very early, very early age that, uh, seemed as soon as I had bought one pair of microphones, I wanted to try the next, Right. And, you know, went through a lot of the big Has companies. that stopped yet? <laughs> Never stopped. You know, I don't know. Uh, growing up in Connecticut uh, and my family uh, just kind of sheltered and I couldn't really ever really get fully on tour and go coast to coast. Um, from 87 till 95, everything that happened on the East Coast, um, you know, I'm sure I missed a few here and there, but um, the East Coast shows, I, I pride myself at trying to get the whole the whole run. And then yes. every once in a while, I'd pop out to the West Coast. I'd, um, I'd get out there for um, um, the holiday run. I usually do, you know, Christmas through New Year's. Nice. Um, and... Um, yeah, uh, I started taping before I really knew, you know, my way around. Um, in those days, it was really different. You know, it was before cell phone and uh, uh, global positioning, GPS, and, <laughs> right. you know, like literally having to go to AAA and do a map quest in order to find my way from 
city to city. Um, oh, I mean, you know, I had it, that had the Atlas in the car, you know, the big yeah, the Rand McNally. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And just like, well, we had the address of this arena. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> find the grid coordinates and just kind of fake it from there. Yeah, so. you know, and at that at that point in my life, um, you know, I really knew that I wanted to pursue record anything to do with music. Um, I used my connections with the camera shop to work for the paper so I could get a press pass so that I could show up and, and shoot the first three songs, usually for most major bands, yep. places like Hartford Civic Center and uh, a lot of the New England area um, venues. There was one in particular, the Sting in New Britain, Connecticut, um, where I had uh, friends with the stage manager and the sound guy and um it really had that place kind of um it was the first club i really had it like you know it was connected there enough that i could go wherever i wanted to whenever i wanted to wherever i wanted to and tell them what kind of club it was tony yeah well in the back there was a uh, molly malone's you know the the backstage area of um of <laughs> Uh, the sting was connected to a strip club and uh, when you went backstage there and you hung over the balcony, you got to see a lot more than just, um, you know, <laughs> right on your regular scenery. It's educational. Yeah. But um, I don't know where you really want me to go with this, you know, um, uh, fr from the time I was, you know, 18 or so on, I was a fanatic about going and recording the Grateful Dead. Um, I was very lucky to meet um, all, some other bands like Max Creek and uh, Acoustic Junction and Leftover Salmon and Steve Kimmock and Zero. And, oh, yeah. um, you know, I spent a lot of time following bands that were, you know, pioneers in the jam scene. Uh, Fish, you know, um, you know, when... I really wasn't, I, I saw some nineties fish, but, um, I never really got into them the way I was into the grateful dead. And when Jerry died, I kind of vowed that I wouldn't, you know, let myself get caught up in, 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 in sort of the, where everyone was going was to fish. And, you know, that's when I kind of started working a lot with, um, zero and KVHW and, and stuff like that. Um, I did a I did a bunch of the KBHW shows out here on the East Coast when I was when they were around. That was that was a fun fun band. So I so I got a nickname amongst the tapers because um, I didn't learn a valuable lesson early on, which is that less is more. And um, I got <laughs> still hasn't learned that lesson, by the way. I got I got yeah. <laughs> I got nicknamed the Armada because, you know, when I came, I would bring probably more than one mic stand and probably more than one set of mics. Uh, some cases, you know, uh, two microphones that normally weren't able, well, most people didn't have access to them or the ability to DC power them. Right. So I was making a lot of really interesting tapes and um just because I was, you know, I never really traded a lot. And a lot of my recordings, unfortunately, um, are, are stuck in, in other archives at, at Telefunken in that um, I've never really transferred a, a lot of my stuff. And uh, I need, need to do that. And through um, 
my relationship with Scott, you know, it became apparent that we were going to, um, you know, do something with, with both of our collections and our connections. And, um, really with Scott's help, he's, um, been great at creating, um, uh, you know, some, some move, much needed movement and appreciation and, um, embarrassing enough to say, you know, we're here to talk about the Dick Lotvilla collection, which, you know, I really wish Jason were on, but he's not. Jason's on. Jason's on. He's just popped in a minute ago. I'm here. (laughs) I'm going to take this moment, if I could, to try to, uh, like, re-kick this off, although, Tony, I'm going to try to use all of that, because that was was great. Uh, Great way to get to know you. I'd like to ask you guys, if you could, in turn, just introduce yourself briefly, mostly so the audience can track whose voice they're hearing as we go through, as we converse a little bit further on. Um, uh, Tony, maybe you could just start. You've told us a good bit about yourself, and then uh, Scott and Jason, if you could. Sure. My name is Tony Fishman. I'm a a taper, a Grateful Dead enthusiast, a microphone aficionado, um, <laughs> and someone who is uh, fanatical about high quality sound and recreating um, the recording experience and being able to play it back as accurately as human po- humanly possible. Cool. Scott? My name is Scott. I'm also a taper. Uh, I restore a lot of audio. And I run the Telefunken Studios. Nice. Uh, Jason. Uh, my name is Jason Scherner, and uh, I was never a taper, but I am definitely a deadhead and always loved and appreciated tapers and always hit them up for, for tapes. And um, I am definitely an, an audio junkie and, and music enthusiast. And not being a musician myself, I try to do whatever I can to serve the music. And I have the distinct privilege of working for Tony at Telefunken as an artist liaison uh, in in that capacity. Cool, cool. Well, uh, as a deadhead who was never a Grateful Dead taper, and a but a guy who was very much into pestering whomever he could to get tapes um i respect all all three of these positions here um and it's a pleasure to meet you guys we're here to talk about dick lutfala's archive and uh, which you guys are currently in possession of caretakers thereof is that correct that is correct um uh tony is the is the uh majority owner i am his partner and the minority owner uh, in in what we refer to as Dick's stash, which is everything that was in his collection that was not a reel-to-reel marked Grateful Dead. And uh, Scott is the uh, is is the is the man uh, you know behind the curtain making the the transfers, baking the tapes, um, making sure that all the notes uh, are, are, are made and also that Dick's notes are transferred and archived during the, the process. He's been invaluable. Cool. Well, uh, I want to hear all about this. Uh, and I guess the best place to start is what's in there. So obviously, and very sensibly, the Grateful Dead reels were, I believe, returned to Grateful Dead. 
uh, for their uh, own well, vaults. Is that correct? Well, uh, the way I understand it, the Grateful Dead reels were donated to the University of Santa Cruz. Uh, the archive. Um, because they had an archive there and they would be safe. So every reel that was in the vault that was a Grateful Dead, it contained Grateful Dead music, ended up going to the vault uh, in the uh, University of Santa Cruz. And the tapes that were in the vault that were non-Grateful Dead recordings, um, they might have been, you know, things that Dick were liked listening to uh, that was in the same genre, or they were reels for shows that might have opened or closed a particular uh, night of music. Uh, you know, it could have been a shared uh, shared evening where, you know, somebody opened for somebody else. And um, due to the legality, you know, all of um, the only thing that UC Santa Cruz could take was uh, were the actual Grateful Dead recordings. So this stash of everything else that was in the vault, um, yeah, I believe, you know, Jason can maybe tell the story of how he found that, but, um, you well, know, through a relationship with Carol Lafala, right? Oh, yeah. And, and well, and I, I do want to add this. In, in addition to all of the other reels uh, that are things from Kingfish to Garcia Band to, um, uh, to Jimmy Silver. Rolling Stones, all, oh, wow. all kinds of stuff. But there's also Grateful Dead material that's on other formats. There are his personal listening CDs and, the, and things that he had uh, made working copies of to listen to. There's a number of videotapes, including things that uh, like, like videotapes of parade rehearsals from Mardi Gras shows at the Oakland Coliseum and oh, wow. things of that nature. So it's a pretty diverse uh, archive of, 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 of musical material, as you would expect from, right. from someone in his position with his reputation. And the, and the condition of, 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 the, of the material is absolutely in, in, in just just in wonderful condition exactly what you would expect from 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 dick and and uh his experience and and uh, his reputation yeah i mean dick we know had it was a serious collector long before he actually worked with the grateful dead so i imagine that that vault goes quite deep it, it does there's, there's an amazing amount of stuff uh, I think I think Scott can probably dig into that and has had has had his thumbs deeper into that so far than than anybody else other than Dick. Um, you know, the main the, my main part in this was the was the acquisition and 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 putting together the uh, the partnership that 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 Tony and I have that that acquired it uh, once it it became available from. From Carol, I was introduced to Carol by uh, my dear, dear friend who is no longer with us, Rudson Shirtliff, who was Ramrod's son and yeah. a dear friend of Carol's. And uh, when I was visiting Rudson, often I would go to Carol's place and hang out with Carol and drink coffee because Rudson was a late sleeper and, and <laughs> Carol and I were early birds. And uh, she she wound up showing me what was there and saying you know this somebody needs to do something with this this is 
this is a treasure and it needs to be cared for properly. And uh, I reached out to Tony and uh, we discussed it and uh, we pulled the trigger and, and made it happen and it got shipped out to uh, Connecticut. And, uh, and, 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 and that's where, you know, the, the, my part really um, doesn't, that was, that was the main thing that I did from, from that part, uh, Tony took the reins and, and brought Scott in uh, to do uh, uh, this among other things at Telefunken. So I'll, I'll, I'll hand it off to, to those capable gentlemen from here. Well, I'd like to just add that, you know, um, the archive and, and Jason, you know, I'll quote you, um, you know, as Telefunken expanded and we got more space and more pallet rack in the warehouse and uh, when this acquisition happened, you know, it kind of came in in a crate and um, when it when it arrived, we checked everything and and we literally put it up on the top tier of the pallet rack and, uh, you know, Jason, you know, <laughs> uh, you know when I, I, I referenced uh, the end of the Lord of the of uh, the uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark when they when they stashed the the uh, the Ark of the Covenant in a in a in a crate up on top of a, a pallet in a in a government building. Top it, men it on it, right? Had some, it definitely had some elements of that going on, uh, but we opened. We, so for, <laughs> for for many years, it 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 it, it sat untouched. Um, and that's where least, I came in for at least a decade. Um, I was kind of, you know, afraid to delve into it because one, I wanted to, you know, keep it preserved. And, um, you know, the warehouse is, is, is obviously, you know, with microphone parts and vacuum tubes and all the stuff we have there, it, it's a dry climate controlled, um, um, warehouse. And, um, you know, Dick did such a fabulous job of bagging every reel and in oh, and, wow. and, and organizing them in such a fashion that, you know, they never were sitting in somebody's basement or in somebody's garage or, you know, the, the reels are, for lack of a better word, time warp reels in that they are pristine. And with all the work that S Scott's done with doing a uh, some initial transfers, you know, we've had, we've had no sticky shed, sticky shed syndrome. Um, you know, the, the tapes, you know, were laid down dirty and we're playing them back clean and we're not having any, any problems with, 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 um, you know, the, uh, the acetate breaking down and, 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 uh, um, we're, well, we haven't got into the acetate portion of it yeah but yeah well there, there's some some but you know we played a good cross-section of of everything and, and transferred a bunch and um you know we're really lucky i guess you know maybe it wasn't a smart thing letting them sit in the warehouse for 10 years but um you know it, it it took it took a while to get to a point where i met somebody like scott who had uh an incredible uh talent for for working uh on archival audio and, and and doing the transfers correctly and um you know you know i baked some tapes in my day um mostly two inch tapes from sessions that were done on 24 track 
um, machine, but, um, you know, these smaller reels, um, you know, Scott came up with a great, great system, um, to do so. And, uh, you know, the idea of somehow organizing these in a comprehensive way that people can enjoy them. Um, you know, uh, the Grateful Dead have done such a, and uh, are still doing such a great job with all the Dick's picks and, and now Dave's picks. Um, you know, I, I think that there's a good chance that, you know, there are a lot of people who would like to hear what other tapes were in the vault. Um, I get it. Be, Jefferson Airplane or Quicksilver Messenger Service or, uh, you know, yeah, there's yeah. just a Go little ahead. bit of everything. Captain. Yeah. What's that? I was, I was just, just saying there's, yeah, Hendrix, Stones, Clapton. Yeah, so uh, as you can imagine, this uh, this collection is just absolutely amazing. But let me back it up to where I came in. Uh, Please. As Tony had mentioned before, he had shelved this project on the top tier of his, of his climate-controlled warehouse. And... Here's this box that I'm looking up at, and it's just, it's eating me up as a taper. <laughs> and what I think I know is in that box. And it all it's, it's labeled Dick's Picks. And no, really? That's it. Yeah, that and would drive me crazy. It would drive me, it just <laughs> absolutely drove me nuts. And uh, there's a couple people that operate the forklift and so on and so forth. And it was kind of a little rigmarole getting it down. And, and once we had it open, it, it was like, it was like the Holy grail was found for me. You know, it was like, Oh my God. And uh, Tony had had it there for these guys had it there for 12, 13, 10, 12, 13 years. And it was like, wow, this is just amazing. Let's get started on this. What What's the intention of this? And, uh, and uh, Tony has a lot of projects going on and that one just happened to get shelved. And I'm glad that we could get a breath of fresh air into it because once we started compiling, we actually sort of built a room around this collection um, and started a uh, dust-free environment and really put the gear into this room to start transferring this audio. And, uh, you know, after talking with Jason and, and everybody was on board with it, I started reaching out to other people who have worked on uh, Grateful Dead audio in the past as I knew there would be a lot of eyes on this and wanted to do everything correctly. Um, we're just really fortunate that Tony possesses some really, really, really nice gear and we were no able doubt. to pull off, we were able to pull off uh, um, these transfers because the way they were packaged and preserved tony and jason are spot on these things were taken care of everything was tails out in 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 plastic with notes and in fact there are uh in many cases a lot of notes on particular uh particular performances there's also interview tapes and there's mm -hmm. notes in regard to the highlights of the interviews. And that's wow. for the band and crew going back all the way to the late 60s in, into the sort of the, the later era. So mm -hmm. um, era, I should say. There's a, there's a, there's a lot of stuff there. And um, 
Scott's right. You know, that was one of the reasons, again, that I originally reached out to Tony because I knew that he had not only the passion and the understanding on how to be a, a custodian of these things, but that he would also have the, the monitoring and the studio space and the, uh, the transferring equipment that, that it would take to get this, this project done. And the patience. Yeah, it takes a lot of patience. Uh, it, it really does. And we, uh, when I started getting into this collection, uh, it was in a series of individually packed boxes. And of course, you got to open them all up to see what's going on. And it was just like, what do I do? Where do I start? And it was, we started, uh, we actually don't bake the reels. We uh, use a food dehydrator and uh, that's set at 126 degrees for four hours. And we actually yeah. take the moisture out that way. The uh, The baking process with convection, all the- uh, Convection is the way to do it, you know. And uh, it's uh, with all the gear around the studio, it was the safest way to do it and the proper way to do it. And uh, we, uh, it's baked at 126 degrees for four hours. I do five a week, uh, one per day. And wow. uh, they're loaded onto the machines with the intention to never rewind, fast forward, never to put that tape under any sort of uh, stress where it may break, shed, delaminate. Um, and with some of these reels go back to uh, 60, 65. And just the way these things were preserved, there's no sign of any sticky shed syndrome, delaminated, anything like that. These things are just absolutely pristine. And um, and it, it, it's it's still hard right now, even though I'm 85, 80, 80 to 85 reels in now, I actually have to grab them and just grab out five and I know I'm gonna be okay with that, you know? Yeah, and that's just you... the tip of the iceberg. And if yeah, you look in the box, do you get a little paralyzed by choice? So you. So when I'm a, when I'm when I put the low the reel on, that's when my work starts in transcribing everything. And there's a lot of details within the drawings to just pieces of paper that are taped on the back. And I'm finding a lot. Uh, they're taped at four corners, and I will take a razor blade and cut three sides and open them up, and they're actually old reels that uh, that the university of santa cruz didn't get that were taped over and if there's any space on the tape you're hearing you know actual dead performances so and, so uh, dick wow. was recycling reels when he he had a, a duplicate reel or you know uh or a, a second gen he you know had a first gen reel and the second gen he didn't need it anymore he would record over it so there's right. a whole you know in, in what wild. scott didn't really explain is that, you know, and a lot of people don't know, um, Dick doodled. There's, there's actual artwork and drawings on the tape, uh, container, the, the cardboard cover, uh, of, of, of the, of the box that the reels sit in. Um, so there's, there's all kinds of really interesting artwork. There, there. is. And, yeah, and Dick had a lot of friends where, they would give him a lot of tapes too. So some might've been first gen or second gen, third gen, but the interesting liner notes, uh, usually on index cards with doodles on them themselves are 
Uh, you know, for example, I did a Cleveland show, which later ended up being the Destroyer album for Led Zeppelin in Cleveland. And uh, wow. it actually came from one of the roadies. And there's a few of the Zeppelin ones in there that came from this one particular roadie that said, Dick, this is just for your ears only. Please don't distribute with, uh, you know, and ha you know, the source and the lineage and all that sort of stuff. He, he, uh, I'm finding a lot of stuff that came to him in, uh, may have not recorded himself, but in his collection that came from other collections and yeah. uh, just for his ears only. And, and, and not only that, the library that he had himself was pretty spectacular. And there's a beautiful library of books. And, uh, you know, we knew that there was a, a, a lot of, a lot of treasures in there. We knew that there would be treasures that we would, we would discover. And uh, the, the library itself yielded a pretty amazing treasure. And uh, I'll let, I'll let Scott and Tony tell you about that because they, they witnessed it firsthand. I just got a, I got I got a really phone call. Well, this thing, all this collection resides right in my office. It's uh, it's under lock and key, and uh, and we were Tony and I were uh, spinning off a kingfish uh, reel with some doodle art, and you know, just kind of amazed by it. And and uh, you got to preface I, this by saying that you know Robert Hunter had passed about two days. No, no. So within within 24 hours, uh, you guys found it within 24 hours uh, of of uh, Hunter passing because we were at a uh, my my girlfriend Kristen and I were at a Robert Hunter cell. Uh, you know, we were up actually at, at Terrapin Crossroads and Hunter passed, and everybody was talking about it, and he had just passed, and that was when we got this excited phone call uh, about about finding the lyrics. You know, I was actually there when Scott found them, but um, wasn't really until the next day that we kind of realized that they were real. <laughs> they were very really much and we real. Still, and, we, and, and we took, we didn't say anything right away. We were very diligent about uh, making sure we knew what we had. It took a few weeks to, to research every known scrap of handwriting uh, that was out there and to do comparisons of particular words and letters and combinations of letters. Which Jason headed up that and you did a great job on that, by the way. Well, um, it, unbelievable. Yeah, unbelievable to narrow it down to there because, you know, the, the lyrics weren't as we know them as today. And can we, right, you, guys? you guys haven't said it. Uh, which song was it? Brown Eyed Women. It was originally called Brown Haired Women. I've read about this, and this is, this is pretty stunning. And I know I read about it when it when this hit, you know, the 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 news after all your research and such. And it was pretty stunning to see, uh, you know, just a, the reproduction, the photograph of it. And um, as a uh, obviously a big fan, as I, I assume we all are. Oh, it's a, it's a great song. Just, it's a monumental song for the band. I mean, and just to find something like that, that's chilling i mean in in the best way that's just that's amazing to find those lyrics in uh in the in in the office within these gentlemen's collection in a box that was labeled dick's night side table yeah. so it was whatever he might have been reading at the time 
Uh, it also in that box, wow. uh, the, the, the book that it was found in, as you saw by the pictures was, uh, just an album cover title book. And it was, uh, sandwiched in there in a blind faith, um, page with blind faith from the blind faith. Right. And he was reading other stuff. One flew over the cuckoo's nest and a Robert Hunter book, uh, that didn't seem to make publication. It was a spiral bound book. But it, it was just it just fell out and it was just like another part of the holy grail was found you know yeah it was, wow. pre it was pretty interesting so um we got a little bit of tony's background but maybe we could take a minute and get scott you mentioned that you were a taper um and a deadhead could maybe you could uh give and us a little a bit of manager and a tour yeah give us some of your background and jason we're gonna come around to you i would like to hear a little bit of your story too uh, yeah, I, uh, I've always seemed to gravitate toward music and uh, from a different perspective, though, uh, more of a business sense and uh, on, on, the, on the taper end, preserving the music for others to hear. Um, I, I was no Armada uh, fishman, <laughs> and I seemed to do it with, you know, recycled <laughs> gear or building my own stuff or using my dad's stuff or, uh, you know, so on and so forth. And, um, first of all, I'd be, I'm an, I'm an iron worker by trade and I took a fall uh, a few years ago, broke everything I had and, uh, had to, uh, I got back into the music scene and I started touring around with some, some of my friends bands and, and, uh, made it into a couple national touring acts. And, and I met Tony, Tony needed his own tour manager. <laughs> and uh we've been yeah. buds ever since and he uh we tape shows together and you know we're doing this amazing project together amongst others and uh go ahead we've got, some, we've got some pretty good polls together too i mean uh we've had some unique experiences scott is pretty much fearless and uh you know we were we were taping a Tom Petty show at um, the XL uh, Meadows in Hartford. Second to last show. Second to oh. last show. Um, and, um, you know, his tenacity to get to the right spot in an area where they weren't allowing tapers and to, you know, stealth record um, <laughs> and, and, and deter and deter uh, neighboring um you know uh i know you want to tell them just tell them how we deter all right so <laughs> we call know, it blocking come on <laughs> there's 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 some pretty good tricks but this one this one takes the cake you know i've never seen it before but um you know about halfway through the show there was a very loud couple next to the tapes the, the mic stand and and you know i was just aghast that you know they were being so noisy and you know, how do you ask somebody to to be quiet when they're having fun? It's a difficult thing. It's a difficult right. thing to do. You can't really you can't really do it. Um, and 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 about that time, it was just this god awful smell, <laughs> and and I couldn't quite figure out what it was. And I really I really thought um, that it was natural, but you know, it turns out that you know Scott was using stink bombs to deter the crowd uh, away from from. from from that area. We <laughs> needed to make this recording, guys. We need to find you. 
<laughs> it was the best it was the best trick in the in the book you know it was silent absolutely silent you don't have to say a word and and uh, you sent sent them running um, god i hope none of the venue owners are listening to this you know <laughs> that i've been to in the past i order these things That's by the funny. cases you know there's some there's some some, some some slick tricks that a lot of tapers you know who went like uh in front of the board you know had to learn the hard way you know and you could get shut down uh as a matter of oh. fact, that you know, a couple of times I got escorted out of the Coliseum by Dennis McNally for taping in front of the board back in the day. And, you know, uh, the biggest trick was to have a blank dat tape in your pocket oh, yeah. um, so that when you had to stop your deck and hand over the tape, you could uh, make a quick switch. But, uh, you know, the reality was it was back back then it was, you know, all fun and games. Uh and, 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 and some of the stuff we've been doing, we've been really lucky um, to be able to do it with Telefunk and microphones now. I was going to say, bring it back full circle. You go, you go from, from Tony uh, taping Grateful Dead shows, trying to get patched into the best microphones or whatever it may be, to, to uh, resuscitating and owning the most legendary brand in the history of audio recording and making available the the finest microphones in the world once again uh, to be to be used not only to capture live music but to create music in the studio and and so on and so forth. So I I love the sort of the full circle uh, nature of of the whole thing. It, it it it's all sort of serendipitous to what we were doing with with the archive as well. Because if, 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 if he hadn't taken this journey, then it wouldn't be the appropriate landing spot for this material. Yeah, you're and correct. Who knows where it would have ended up. And, you know, I've seen so many collections end up in somebody's basement in a flood. You know, you can, I didn't, yeah. I believe that happened with the Betty boards. You know, I think Betty, I think that some of those, those reels were found in a, in a storage unit that had, you know, gotten, pretty badly you know flooded a lot of those reels needed to be be really worked on before they you know were, were playable well we were all trying to get connected i, I was looking on at, at the website and just drooling over the uh <laughs> the microphones the c12 in particular because it's as close as i'll get to one um <laughs> because they are they're they're pretty pretty amazing um and the time machine the time machine accurate i like to say <laughs> they 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 really are they're time machine accurate because not only would you have to get into a time machine to get something like that to go yeah. back in time and get the the original genuine article brand new before it was abused for several decades but then when you listen to it or you record with it it's also like getting into a time machine because it takes you back to that that time and space and uh you're, you're, you're absolutely right. Yeah, they're pretty amazing. Um, and I'm going to steer back to backgrounds. Jason, uh, tell us tell us about yourself and how, how you got to where you are. Well, all right. So so I was uh, I started seeing the Grateful Dead uh, in 1990. In, uh, in, in 1993, uh, in May of 1993 in Las Vegas, I met uh, I met uh, a guy who would who would become one of my 
all time closest friends in life and not just a friend, but one of those people that 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 gives you uh, knowledge and perspective and and uh, really is is a is a brother. And and that was Rudson Shirtliff. And uh, that was, you know, Ramrod, who was the crew chief for the Grateful Dead. That was his son. And um, I used to hang out with him a lot in, in Petaluma. And it was Rudson who used to uh, put me into different situations to try to be helpful to people in the Grateful Dead community based on my, uh, my experiences and, and, and my abilities. I, I grew up uh, learning how to be a custodian of historical items uh, from, from my dad, who was an antique European weapons collector, and he was the best in the world at what he did. So what I've done with the things that he taught me as a kid is I've applied that to our community and uh, applied the, the principles of preservation and provenance and history and, uh, and, and those elements uh, to, to what happens in our world. And, and that led me uh, into a, a life of doing my best to, to serve the music uh, by dealing with uh, artifacts and memorabilia and of course, audio uh, recordings and, and, and audio reproduction and, and the equipment uh, associated with, with those things. So it's all been it's all been just a way to stay involved in the music world without having the the skills to to, to play a guitar or or, uh, or or some other instrument. Cool. Well, uh, it seems to be serving you and the world well. Um, so none of us can play guitar. Is that what's going on? <laughs> I can't. Me neither. I, I can't. I've carried the a same little guitar. I'm, I'm a, a little. hack. Yeah. Well, I can enough to serve a song, not to. Uh, well, I've, been, mind. I've been playing since I'm eight years old, but I've been playing like an eight-year-old since I've been eight years old. <laughs> so, Tony has the most amazing guitar collection you'll ever see in your life. So, first um, of all, I, I, I appreciate a couple guitars. Just because I can't play doesn't mean that I don't have a couple guitars. <laughs> yeah. Jason too. Yeah, I've heard Jason's got a couple axes. Yeah, there. absolutely. So, um, well, gentlemen, this is. Uh, Exciting. I, are there future plans? I know you're transferring all this material. Um, I assume there's probably licensing and rights issues and things to work part. out. So, uh, which probably preclude you from talking too much about what you've got, what you're doing. Do you, is there anything you can disclose or, or just broader hopes for the material? Well, I can't speak for everybody, but I think the, the overall plan is for the masses to hear this in some way, shape, or fashion, you know? Um, there's a lot of good stuff in this archive. I, I'm not sure how much I can say about it, but um, uh, <laughs> there's a lot of stuff that people are going to want to hear. For instance, uh, we just I mean, recently found Jimi Hendrix's full performance at Woodstock, not known to exist. Uh, in every documentary that's ever been done about Woodstock it's very incomplete about his set and there it laid in that box. Wow. Um, I, mean, I recently just transferred uh, Chris Christopherson teaching 
Janis Joplin how to sing Bobby McGee. You know, it's just it's that in depth from Floyd to Quick Messenger Service to everybody possibly imaginable. The the you know when I was in when I was in college in Northern California running around seeing the Grateful Dead, one of the one of the classes that interested me a little bit because I was you know running around collecting tapes and and music and whatnot was media law. And I took media law when I was in college and the the laws are pretty simple and pretty basic. We, we own the tapes. We own the plastic, the metal, the cardboard boxes, the ink uh, that they're written on and the musicians own the the rights to the music. Um, We have this stuff and we would love nothing more than to put it out there, but it has to, it has to, uh, there has to be a partnership between those that have the legal rights and and those that have the 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 goods and uh, we're going to do our part to get the material transferred properly have everything be cared for uh, and not leave any anything uh, undone or or do anything incorrectly we're gonna we're gonna cross all of our t's and dot all of our i's and we unintended with the name tony huh (laughs) <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, no, but but I'll take credit. But the uh, the bottom line is when and if the opportunity or opportunities uh, present themselves to put this material out there, we are all anxious and excited to to do whatever we can uh, within reason to make that happen, and. You know, so so I think that's the the fairest and and most reasonable way to answer that that question. And at some point, if you want to take a look at the inventory list, which you know is 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 certainly easy enough to to, to take a look at, um, there's there's nothing there's 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 no legal rights in in, in regard to sharing a, an inventory list with anybody. But when you see it, it it's it's kind of ridiculous but then <laughs> as you're going through it and you're thinking how ridiculous it is you stop and say oh yeah but who whose was this right. and then when you remember who it, who it belonged to you think to yourself well but of course and and if you'd have said to yourself like like we probably all did sitting around at our college dorm room flipping Maxell XL2s every 45 minutes. Um, I wonder I wonder what Dick's got uh, at yeah. home in, in his <laughs> in his little spot in his little living room. And and not only did we find out, but we 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 boxed it up, we created it up and and now we're going through it one one piece at a time. And um, that's something I never if you'd have told the you know, 19 or 20 year old Jason hanging out in his dorm room, spinning tapes that, that this was going to happen. Uh, if, you know, if, 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 if young, young Tony and young Scott had run, run into young Jason and told him uh, such, such tales of, of, of uh, imagination, <laughs> I, I would, I would have laughed in their faces. Right. So, yeah. Um, well, um, first I would love to see that list. Um, second, I would say um, there is, 
precedent for what you guys are doing, which if you look at the Owsley Stanley Foundation, they're going through a, a great set of tapes and, you know, the progress is not rapid on the releases, but they're getting things out and, uh, you know, hopefully uh, these things come to come to fruition for you guys. Um, because it's definitely yeah. not a rapid, uh, nothing moves rapidly with this. This is no, it's but, a very time consuming project. A, a lot of, a lot of hard work to uncover each reel one at a time and each golden nugget as it, as it, as it comes from the vault. Um, good work takes time. So, but you know, will, when and if those opportunities present themselves, a lot of the transfers are done. We know we've got the process worked out. And uh, the the marketing behind it writes itself in that you have Dick's personal stash. And as far as, you know, the kind of artwork that you would use, it, it also sort of writes itself in that you would use the actual handwritten notes, set lists, timings, uh, 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 and, and documentation on the on the process to begin with that's there because the people that would want those recordings would want it to be in that format. So yeah. if, if anybody out there who hears this or is listening says, you know what, I can facilitate some of those things. I am that guy for this organization. Uh, we are we are not difficult to get in touch with. <laughs> yeah, if you don't know how to reach them, you can reach me, um, and I'll make it happen too. So, Tony, I have one, one more tidbit in that you know, um, finding in doing the right thing with all this is a lot of responsibility, and um, I kind of kind of feel strange about having those lyrics um, while the song is is dear to me. Um, having handwritten Robert Hunter lyrics on a delicate page um, is really something that ought to be, um, I, I, you know, if there's someone out there um, who thinks they know where those lyrics should lie, um, we'd very much like to know. Um, you know, I don't want to keep them in a, in, a, in, a, in a safe where they can't be seen. Um, they need to be somewhere where, you know, Robert Hunter's legacy can can be shared, um, even if it's virtual. You know, the one thing, the act of going out and, and taping and the band's policy with, you know, once we perform it on stage, it's for it's 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 everyone's, you know, share it um, is such a was such an incredible Thing as a kid to be a part of to go out and be able to tape and share the recordings and you know it literally led me on a pursuit for better microphones and better recording and led me to to have this this brand and it's it's strange because you know the I didn't go out looking for the Grateful Dead it, it's like it found me when I turned 15 somehow um and I didn't go really looking for a brand. The brand found me and the word telefunken means to, you know, telly is transmit and funken is spark to transmit spark. And as I'm watching you 
I see the steely in the background with a 13 <laughs> point bolt. And I can't help but think that there is a connection here, a, 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 you know, a, an electric connection that is timeless and important to preserve the, the joy and the spark within the, the band's music and, and the equipment that gathers it. It took me a long time to learn what it is that we do, but a microphone is not just a microphone. It's an instrument to gather and share good vibrations. And that to me is why this stuff has begat um, these interesting rich history just keeps on expanding, um, whether it be new artists using the microphones or recordings that have come to us um, through having an open heart and open mind and wanting to do the right thing. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's really cool. And, um, you know, if it weren't for, for, for the, you know, bands that allowed the sharing of music, you know, none of it would be happening. I think you've just summarized that the whole thing that we're here to talk about and the whole thing that we, we have in common uh, quite well, Tony. Thank you. Um, gentlemen, I, I want to thank you all for joining me. This has been fascinating. I'm a geek of, for that, that gear and the, the, the things that, that you guys are doing on all, all of these fronts. Um, so I, I'm, I'm really excited that we got to have this time to talk. Um, Jason or Scott, do you guys have any last words when I attempt to follow Tony's uh, statement here? I want, I just, I kind of want to drive into the studio right now and put one on. <laughs> that's, that's kind of where I'm at with it right now. Cool. Um, no, I, I, I thank both of these guys for giving me the amazing opportunity to go through this collection. And, uh, um, I'm, uh, you know, I'm a nerd when it comes to music and it's just, it, these are just like relics and I, I can't wait uh for everybody to hear this hopefully at some point and uh we're just gonna keep plugging away on it cool yeah keep up the work it'll it'll pay off i guess my last words are uh everybody stay positive and test negative and vote yeah yeah good statement there thank you thanks guys are good dudes with important work ahead of them. Here's hoping they can connect with the right folks to bring some of it to light. So after talking with those guys, I decided I wanted to share some audience tapes with you. This past week was also the 30th anniversary of the outstanding MSG 90 run, which has some of the best front of board tapes in circulation, but I've already done a show on MSG 90. That was episode 29, which came out nearly two years ago. So I looked around a bit more and landed on December 90, run at McNichol Sports Arena in Denver, Colorado, December 12th through 14th. This little December tour came a little over a month after the band's return from Europe. Jerry had played some JGB dates in November, and then they kicked off this tour with two nights in Oakland, followed by a pair of shows at Compton Terrace, which saw them split playing in the band across both nights. And then in Denver, on the 12th, 13th, and 14th, they put in a pretty solid effort Vince had been feet to the fire since his first show in early September. Bruce had joined up a week later, and the band had improved in leaps during the MSG and Europe runs. And now, for their first Colorado shows since 87, 
they came warmed up and ready to play. Worth noting, Bruce did not play on the third night. It's not clear why. Possibly he had a gig of his own to get to somewhere. Also, I've seen notes of a bit of snow closing at least one of the passes after the third night. This is in the taper's notes, which can be quite colorful at times. They usually don't reveal too much about what's going on, but... As I mentioned, these are all audience tapes, mostly front-of-board recordings, and I think they're all really good. You might prefer headphones for some of it. Who can say? Just allow yourself to become immersed in the sound field and enjoy the ride. I've got a longish set of tunes here that jumps around through the three nights, including the shakedown opener from night three, both parts of the Dark Star, which was split between the first and the third night. It's a 48-hour Dark Star, maybe? A little bit of Bruce, a few Bobby tunes, and even some Phil. I hope you enjoy it. I'm going to leave you right here. As always, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at BrokedownPod. You can also find the website and show notes at BrokedownPodcast.blogspot.com. Until next time, be well.
Just gotta go.
We're still home where you've been laying. Trying to make it through the night. 
Thank you. 
Thank you.